What up, what up? Hey, how's it going? Doing good, man. How you doing? Great. Oh, my goodness, man. I just left McDonald's. I'm so glad they brought the dollar menu back. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? Yeah, but the thing that sucks, though, is that, like, okay, so McDonald's, they don't fill the drinks up anymore. They have this... Uh, they have this machine that fills your drinks and it never fills it up to the top. It's extremely annoying. Well, that part sucks. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, welcome to the Doku podcast, aka Let's Talk to Let's Talk About It. My name is Jonathan Doku, your host. Right now we have a guy that can do everything. He can do it all. I'm talking direct, write, produce, act. If clones were a thing, he would be the first guy in history to do a one-man movie, Mr. Todd Jenkins. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. So let me ask you this. Um, when did you know you wanted to do all this? Like, what moment in time, okay, I love this. This has got to be my life. It was 100% accidental in every way possible. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the wildest story. Um, have you ever seen the movie Office Space? Uh, no, I can't say I have. Okay. Well, anyway, it's, it's, it's this comedy. It came out a long time ago. Um, anyway, it's, a, it's about these guys at work, right? They work in this office, and they just hate it. They hate working in cubicles and all this kind of stuff. And they start to do uh, job interviews. They have they call these guys in for their job interviews and asking them what they do at their job. And they all have to kind of give an answer of what they do for a living. And you're like, well, I would think you guys know what we do. We work here. Uh, anyway, what they were doing was they were doing this job interview to see if they could get rid of people and start laying people off and letting them go. <laughs> so one of the guys is just like, you know, screw it, man. I, I, I don't care anymore. I'm not even going to show up to work. I'm not going to pay bills anymore. I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want. So what happened in that movie kind of happened at my job. I'd been working at a life insurance company for 10 years and I was working on computers there for them. And those, those interviews started happening to us. And I was like, what the hell? This is like exactly what happened (laughs) in the movie. So that's why I was using that as a, as a reference. Uh, So they started interviewing us and I was like, great. Now what's going to happen? So then uh, the reason they were interviewing us is because they were going to sell the company to another company and once they sold the company, they told us, hey, we really don't know what we're going to do with any of you guys. So if you just kind of like hang out and do your job, which none of us really had jobs anymore because they didn't know what to do with us. Uh, they said, hang out for like a year and a half. And if we let you go in that year and a half, we'll give you this big severance package. And if we don't let you go, then we'll keep you on and see if we can continue to use you. So the best thing to happen to you would be is you get laid off and get a huge severance package and get another job. Well, I was yeah. there for a long time. So we had to think of things to do. So we would, uh, we were in this uh, storage room with computers. We didn't even go to our office cubicles anymore. We just went down there and we would play video games. I'd get on dating websites, hacky sack, whatever. And I was on this one dating website trying to meet girls and I was having a good time doing it. I was meeting lots of girls, having fun. And out of the blue, some casting director's like, Hey, you should come be in a Chuck Norris movie. We're filming here in Dallas off of Harry Hines. And I was like, okay, that's the biggest crocker you know, crap ever. This isn't really real. And I went down there just for the hell of it to see if it was real. And it was. And that's kind of where the whole thing started. I was an extra in this Chuck Norris movie. Uh, I got the bug the very first day when I was on set. And I quickly realized that my career in the life insurance business and working on computers was about to go bye-bye. So I started looking 
I, I kept doing extra work on that movie as much as I could. And then they started looking for stunt people and I lied and told them I was a stunt guy. So I uh, yeah. stunts on the movie, which wasn't the smartest thing in the world because it kind of got hurt doing it. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't the best idea, but the stunt made it into the trailer in the movie. And it was, it was so exciting to see myself in a movie. And I was like, Oh my God, that's me in the trailer. That's me in the movie. And I, it, and I just got the bug from there. And as I would continue to work on these low budget independent films, they never really had any money for all the different crew positions. So like, sometimes they might like, Hey, can you help us out with the lighting? Can you help us out with sound? You know, can you help with camera and stuff? And I would, I'd always said yes. So I eventually start, started to learn how to do everything. And then I learned how to do the editing too. I would like shoot behind the scenes on these movies. And then I would edit the behind the scene featurettes. And I was like, wow, I kind of know how to do all this now. And I got the idea to direct an, uh, my first short film that I would be a lead actor in. And it's called Why. And we didn't have a crew for it. I didn't have money for it. So I was like, I want to see if I could just do everything myself in this short film and not hire any crew at all. And we pulled it <laughs> yeah. off. It was amazing. And I was like, wow, I mean, I could literally just have any actors that are in the scene with me hold the camera or, you know, make sure the audio is recording whenever I'm on camera. And that's what we did. So when it came time to do my first feature film, which was Cherokee Creek, and all the crew people were quitting left and right because they were like, dude, this movie's way too raunchy. Uh, we can't work on a movie that's got this much language, nudity, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I was like, okay, well, then I guess I'm going to have to do it all myself. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't because I wanted to do it myself. It was it ended up being I had to go buy, you know, all the essential gear to do it, the cameras, the lights and microphones and all that. So there was no money for crew at all at that point. And then I just had to make sure I taught myself how to do everything really well. Uh, and before I did the feature, I was also doing music videos and commercials and stuff. So all that was really great practice leading up to that point. Yeah. Now, were, weren't you an extra on uh, this one TV show on the CW? What was that one called? Uh, I can't remember, but I know you were a photographer or something. No, I wasn't an extra. The only time I, I would remember being a photographer was on the show Nashville. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was an actual it. major speaking role. And I almost I almost didn't do it because the audition came in at the same time I was auditioning for a guest starring role on another show. And I really wanted the guest starring part. And my buddy had got a role on there. And then he called me and said, Hey, they cut that role that you're trying to get on. So don't, don't worry about that role anymore. You need to go to something else. And it was probably about five 30 in the morning. And I just happened to still be awake. And my agent was asking, Hey, did you ever do that Nashville audition? And I was thinking, well, it's not that big of a role, but I'll, okay, whatever. So I, I literally put my hair in a ponytail, put a hat on backwards and just improv the crap load of lines, like 60 seconds worth of improving lines. And I sent it off thinking, okay, they're, they're not going to like it. So I don't have to worry <laughs> about it, but I got it turned in. I did my thing. So no one's going to be mad at me, hopefully, at least not too mad. And then yeah. the next phone call that came in said, Hey, they love what you did with the improv and everything. And uh, they want you in Nashville. They want you to be, uh, they want you to work for Bo magazine in the scene. And, you're going to be uh, working with the lead of the show. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm getting on the plane right now. <laughs> yeah. Now when I saw that, cause uh, I think I saw, I, I was watching it actually. And I saw that and I was like, hold on. I think I know this person. Cause you know <laughs> how, like, you know, everybody, like one thing about me, I suck at names. 
I never forget a face. So I was like, I've seen him somewhere. And then I go on my Facebook list and I'm like, wow, is him. He's really doing it. He's really doing it. Now, a lot of young actors I know, like I know so many young actors that have said they wanted to move to Hollywood. I know actors that have moved to Hollywood. It didn't work out. They moved back. I know people that move there that's not doing so much. What would you say to a young actor that's straight out of school that wants to go to California? I would say hold off on California if you can for like a year or two and go to Atlanta and just see what you can do in Atlanta. Atlanta is where you're going to get the a lot of the things that these and I don't know for sure that this happens, but I think a lot of actors think they're they're going to get a major lead supporting role or, you know, like a huge role in a movie that they're going to hire him as a lead. And that just doesn't happen. Uh, but in Atlanta, you get an opportunity to read for, you know, like a one or two page scene. And that's going to help get your feet wet. And that's going to help build your resume, your experiments, your experience and give you a demo reel. So that when you do go to L.A., you can try to get an, 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 uh, an agent or a manager. I mean, just going to L.A. cold and hoping you're going to make it now is going to be really tough because back in the day when people were doing that, everything was filmed in L.A. But now because of tax incentives and everything and they can shoot stuff cheaper out of L.A., they don't have those roles available as much because now in Atlanta, they have to hire so many local hires for the smaller roles. They have to, you have to live there or say you live there to even have a shot at those roles. So. Going to L.A., you're, if you can get an audition, you're probably going to be auditioning for major lead roles. And getting those against A-list actors is going to be very, very tough. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because I had a theater teacher. Well, I had two theater teachers. And everybody hates my first theater teacher, but I feel like I kind of needed both of them. He kind of reminded me of Dan Snyder. You know, he did have his favorites and, you know, he did cater to them more and everybody hated it. But I was looking at it as a, a plus because I was like, in Hollywood, certain directors have favorites, you know? Like if I go up for a role and then Will Smith goes up for that same role, odds are he's going to get it. Like there's so many stories about how people went to audition and they're like, man, I know I'm going to nail this. And Brad Pitt walks up and they're like, you know what? I'm just leaving. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, at, now so, the game so, changes. It's, it's a game changing business that changes every single day. And right now, I, I don't even know where we are in the business right now because we haven't even started. As of just this week, we're starting to see auditions come in again and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's pretty much been yeah. shut down for four months, so I don't know what the new game plan is or how it's going to be going forward. But I, I think it's a, I think it's a little crazy and a little egotistical to think that you're going to go out there and they're just going to hand you a, a movie or a, you know, a major TV spot on a silver platter. I exactly. think, I think you got to kind of earn it. Um, but with all of it, I mean, what, what you learn, it's all network. It's a hundred percent networking and building your fan base and having social media. It's a totally different game now. And people don't understand that. Like when I did Cherokee Creek, um, I was able to do so well with it because I was working, you know, on social media and, and talking to the fans, doing podcasts, marketing. I was doing that like eight, 12 hours a day. I mean, that's all I do. And a lot of guys think once you've done a movie that you can just walk away from it and it's just going to magically, you know, get all these followers and all the support and everyone's going to buy it. And it just doesn't happen like that anymore, especially with an yeah. independent film, an independent film, Without any A-list actors, you're going to have to bust your 
ass to get it out there every single day. I'm still busting my ass. It's been Cherokee Creek's probably been out well over a year and a half, and I'm still meeting people. It's shopping it around. Yeah. It's, I'm still having to market it 24-7, and people don't they're still going, man, I never even heard of this movie. When did this come out? I'm like, well, it's been out a year and a half, man. They're like, wow, I never heard of it. Because unfortunately, a lot of these uh, digital platforms, they kind of hide independent films. So you, you, unless you know the name of it or you've heard of it, you're, it's not going to pop up in any new release menu. It's not going to pop up under like a horror search or a comedy search. you got to know exactly what you're looking Type it in because they may have that movie hidden like they do mine. Exactly. Now, how how did you go about getting Cherokee Creek on all those uh, platforms? Uh, at the time, they were, there was a company called uh, Distributor, and they were they were a smaller. They were part of a bigger company called Go Digital. And what these companies do, they're called aggregators. And to put that in simple terms, an aggregator is basically like a filmmaker's agent or a distribution company's agent. Okay, you know, how, like we yeah. have to have an agent, like people like. Oh, I want to I want to get on a Spielberg movie. Well, you can't just do that. You got to have an agent or manager that can make that call to get you the audition. It's the same thing with trying to get on these platforms. All these platforms are like, listen, if you want to work with us, you got to go through our business partners that are called aggregators. And what they're going to do is they're going to check your movie for quality to control to make sure it's not a piece of crap that the audio sounds good, the uh, the film looks good, it's been color corrected. They're going to make it look, make sure that it looks the best and sounds the best that it could sound. And then they're supposed to handle the accounting for the movie, just like an agent would. Like, So instead of Amazon or iTunes sending you the check directly, they're going to send it to this aggregator, which was distributor. But unfortunately, for the first time in the history of the movie business, their business partner, Go Digital slash distributor that we were business partners with, stole everything from thousands of filmmakers. And, and right now we're still hearing it's millions and millions of dollars. And these people are protected by lawyers in L.A., and they completely disappeared, and now they're starting businesses again. So you have to be very, very, very careful on who you work with. Even if you distribute a movie yourself, you still have to be careful because there's just so many leeches and snakes out there that are going to try to steal every dollar you make. Exactly. Now, And speaking of leeches, let me ask you this. There's a lot of these pop-up, I call them pop-up camps. Like, I'm pretty sure you've heard the commercials do you like disney channel have you seen twilight how would you like to be in one of those movies go to this <laughs> workshop and then you go to the workshop and they have this great tutorial they said they're partnered with disney and they have you know this video and they might have a guy that was in like a uh they might pay a guy that was in a movie to you know show up and then they want your money when you're trying to get an agent or anything like that will they ask for your money no they will not yeah. the only thing you need to get this is what i try to tell people if you want to be an actor go start doing extra work to make sure you can handle it and it's something you want to do because it's long hours you might be on set for 16 18 hours a day and people are going to learn real quick it's not the glamorous job that they thought it was going to be so if you can go out and do extra work you know even for like a month or two and just go hey let me try this out and see if i even like it Plus, you're going to get paid. To me, like if I if I could do extra work when I'm not working on stuff and get paid to do it, I would do it all the time because it's it's a blast just to get to hang out on set, it's, talk to everybody, and get so paid fun. to do it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's so fun. And my and my favorite extra work is the period pieces because then you get to dress up and they do your hair. You know. Oh yeah, man! I've always had fun. I always had fun doing, it, especially. 
this is what you really want to do. If you can get on extra work for commercials, because I mean, I, there was times I was making three or $400 a day to be an extra in a commercial. And then they would bump me up. Like I went out to be on an extra on a SAG commercial for Bank of America. And they said, I look like this kid's dad. They stuck me in like a two second shot featured as this kid's dad. I mean, I'm only on camera for two seconds. Don't say anything. I think by the time they paid me all my royalties on how long that thing aired, I must have grossed like $10,000 plus on that thing. Yeah, people sleep on commercials a lot. Extra work in commercials. People sleep on them. I know people that that's all they do. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. There's a lot of people who won't do it, though. But I'm like, I'll do it. I mean, I would do it right now because there's not going to be a job you're going to make that kind of money. Even acting doesn't pay that kind of money sometimes. You can, you know, and you don't have to travel nowhere. If you're, if you're living in a city that's doing a lot of commercials or industrials and you can go be an extra on it, just go do it to get on set and meet people. It's all about networking, too. You always got to yeah. network and meet more people. It doesn't hurt to do it. I just look exactly. like a scumbag now because that's kind of what I play. So I don't know a whole <laughs> lot of commercials going to be like, yeah, we need that scumbag, dude. But believe it or not, the last few commercials I did, I did do as the scumbag and I got paid well for it. So if I if I knew of any going on right now, I would still go do them. Yeah. But and it's funny you mentioned networking because I was talking to a dancer that moved to L.A. and, you know, she's very good at what she does. And one thing she said, networking is important, is important. But is there a wrong way to network and a right way to network? Could could like somebody be too eager or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I get that a lot. I, I get a lot of people. I, I think the whole thing is, is they think it they come on too pushy, too fast. Like I constantly get emails, you know, when I'm directing something, hey, man, uh, you need to cast me in your next movie. And that's all they really say. Uh, they, don't, they don't know <laughs> anything about me. They don't know anything about any of the movies I've done. They've never watched any of my movies. Um, you know, they, they're not presenting a, a demo reel to go, hey. Uh, I've worked on these projects, so if you'd like to have me audition sometime, check out my demo reel. Like that, I would be more interested in versus saying, hey, cast me in this. Because I'm like, yeah. and that's what I always get. Everybody's like, hey, I'm, I'm friends with you on Facebook. You need to cast me. And I'm like, that don't mean nothing. I mean, like, I'm like what? Yeah. And, I, and I tell actors the whole thing. I was like, listen, you got you to gotta bring something to the table. You can't just go up to people and, and hand them a headshot or whatever on the street and your business card and say, cast me in your next project. You get, what, what do you bring into the table? Like, why should I cast you? <laughs> exactly. Cause you could be the most horrible actor in the world for all they know. Well, yeah. Or you could be the best <laughs> actor, but you're a diva on set and you're going to be a pain in the ass to work with. So, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't know about you that I'm just going to cast you off the bat. You know, even, even a badass demo reel doesn't mean, Oh, I'm going to cast you. I mean, I'm going to have to try to get to know you. We're going to have to have a couple meetings and get to know you as a person first. Cause I've made the mistake of casting people from auditions and just uh, demo reels before. And then they show up and they're just a pain in the ass to work with. And you're like, oh, God. I mean, I guess there's no yeah. way to ever really avoid it. But you can at least try to do some groundwork because we have had a lot of people in our, you know, our interviews and meetings that would show their true colors then. And then you can avoid, you know, that that panic that you're going to have once you get on set and go, oh, crap, we cast the wrong person.
<laughs> yeah. And I think that's a great idea. Like, and that's something that you said, the meetings that I feel like a lot of people don't do enough is basically the audition review and then cast. I think you should have like a one-on-one -on -one or like a group one-on-one -on -one with the directors and the producers. Right. In a, pu in a public that... place, of course, though, you know, like back in the yeah. day, they were having people come to their hotel room. Like, yeah. yeah that, no, that's that's not a good idea. Don't go to people's hotel rooms. I mean, that's probably not a good thing, but you know, if they're like, Hey, let's go meet at Starbucks and have a meeting that, you know, that's probably going to be okay. But definitely yeah. don't be going to people's freaking hotel uh, rooms yeah. or. And, homes. and, 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 yeah, and it's so common, like, because I was looking at a interview that Denzel did, and he said, I've been, you know, invited to people's hotel rooms. Like, nothing happened, of course, but, you know, it was just such a common thing that people didn't realize was wrong, you know? Right. Well, I mean, uh, you, you, you have to be cautious, obviously, and know what you might be getting yourself into. You don't know. If, if you're going to a hotel room, you're like, what, what are these guys doing? Like, what's their what's their intentions? Is there going to be drugs and alcohol? Yeah. Like, well, why am I going to this? Like, why, why do I have to go here? And then you, you can elaborate yourself. But I, especially for women, I would be even more cautious, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, I would be paranoid as hell. So let me ask you this. What inspires you the most? Oh, man. I, I, I like the acting and directing the most. I, I, I really enjoyed that the most out of everything. I absolutely, if you can get on a good product, I guess uh, people who are uh, motivated and have a, a lot of drive, one of, the, one of the mistakes I've made is like everybody thinks they're a filmmaker, you know, everybody's like, I'm a filmmaker, and a lot of these guys may have money because they're just rich or whatever, but they have no idea what they're doing, so I'm really into someone who's very, very passionate about what they do, and they make it a team effort, and it's a collaboration, you know, to make a great movie. That's really hard to find because I've been doing this probably going on 20 years. And I would say out of 200 plus projects, and that includes music videos, industrials, commercials, feature films, short films, I'd probably say less than 10 of those people had a damn clue what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So whenever I, I, I'm very motivated to, to work with people who are passionate because, like I said, a lot of people don't understand what they're getting into. You've got to want to make a movie so bad that you'd rather be dead if you couldn't do it, you know what I mean? And, and you got to make it and you want to make, you got to want to make a movie and make it the best you can and sacrifice everything to do it. Cause a lot of guys, man, they think they're going to make this movie. And then like five, 10 years down the road, the movie never gets finished. And you're like, well, what's Thank going on? You. I was, I was just about to say that. And that's a recurring theme. Matter of fact, I'm going to go as far as to say, I've never seen, and I'm sure it's happened, but me personally, I've never seen a student film actually be completed, you know, in, in Dallas. Whenever somebody wants to do a film, either somebody is not getting along or the classic thing, the work schedules don't add up. And see, that's what I was saying. I was like, Hollywood is shut down right now. Everybody's bored at home this is like the perfect time. You literally have everybody hostage. This is literally the perfect time to create. And that's why I give props to people like, you know, Lady Gaga and, you know, people that were courageous enough to push their content at this time. Right. Because, you know, we have no choice but to listen. And I have a friend who's a filmmaker. And I was like, literally, nobody's working, so they can't use that as an excuse. You got a camera you know, you should get out there and, you know, create something.
you know, and because at least we you still there? Yeah, you know what I mean? Okay, it broke up for a second. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm with you, man. Another thing I would like to tell actors and even directors, if you want to act and you want to direct, work on writing scenes and directing them and being in them. A lot of people constantly come up to me and they say, no one will hire me as an actor. I can't get an audition. No one will hire me as a director. You know, all this stuff. I'm like, well, what do you have to show for it? And they're like, well, I, I, I need a script. I need this. I'm like, well, then write it. I mean, like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're just sitting around waiting for it to come to you, it's not going to happen. That's why I had to make Cherokee Creek. And that's why I had to make my first short. Why? Because as an actor, no one was going to hire me to be a lead in a short or a feature film because I had no I had no work to show them. I mean, they had nothing to go on. So when I financed it and I put it together myself, then I started and I put it out there on YouTube and everything for people to see. Then it started generating a crap load of opportunities for me. But if you're just going to sit around and not do anything, like you can shoot a scene. I've literally had actors come in and pay me to film a scene with them and act in a scene with them. If they Or they could bring an actor with them. They pay me for yeah. that. And we could we could literally improv like a three to five minute scene, put that together and they go and get an agent from that. And then that leads to them getting on big studio movies and big television shows. It's that simple. But people just are scared to death to write a scene or to write a short film or do anything themselves. And you have really got to go after it all yourself. You cannot wait for it to come to you. You got to chase it with everything you got. Exactly. Now, Cherokee Creek, I did see it. And it was completely hilarious. And I think it was good because it does something that not a lot of people do. Not a lot of people mix horror with comedy anymore. And that's like my favorite version of comedy. It was awesome. But tell, tell us a little bit about Cherokee Creek. Well, Cherokee Creek is basically a mixture of all the movies I grew up on and fell in love with, combined with my true life stories and people that I grew up with. <laughs> so, yeah. I basically took all that and combined it. Uh, the reason Cherokee Creek happened was as years ago, me and Billy Blair, I was trying to meet Billy Blair because I was a, friend, a fan of his uh, when he did the Machete movies. And I heard he was going to be doing another movie locally here. And I was trying to get him to look at my work and maybe give me a chance to audition for one of his projects he was producing. And he was pretty much just put, pushing me off. He was ignoring me. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll take a look, you know, whatever. And he never would look at Jack, man. He just wasn't looking at anything I was sending him. And then we both found out we were casting this really horrible Bigfoot movie called Bigfoot Wars. And it was starring <laughs> C. Thomas Howell and Judd Nelson, which were huge actors in the 80s uh, from like Red Dawn and Breakfast Club, you know, and all yeah. this. So I was excited yeah. to work on it. I thought, man, I'm going to get to meet these guys. I'm going to get to work with Billy. It's going to be the best thing ever. And these guys had a real budget. They put us up in hotel rooms, gave us the greatest food to eat. We had trailers on set. I mean, they had a massive crew. Everything about this looked like a freaking Hollywood set. It was like, wow, this is awesome. And then the movie came out. And it was the worst piece of crap I ever seen. <laughs> so so I, 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 Billy kept telling me. So after that, we became friends. And I started working with him on his auditions. I'd film his auditions and send them off to uh, casting directors. And he just kept booking and booking and booking. After that, I said, dude, we got to somehow get together and, and make a movie sometime in the future. He's like, yeah, man, just write something and I'll do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's easy. <laughs> so I was visiting a family up north here, north of Dallas, up in uh, Melissa, Texas. And he was like, hey, I've got all these woods. So why don't you write a movie that takes place in the woods? And 
I had no idea how to write, man. I never wrote anything. So I started thinking about it and brainstorming uh, with different people that I knew. Like, I think my nephew was around me that night. I was like, man, I really hate that Bigfoot movie I did. I wish I could come up with an idea to do a Bigfoot movie. And then I started <laughs> thinking, well, maybe if I did something that was raunchy like American Pie, but kind of Friday the 13th and then mixed it with The Hangover, you know, and then I could build it around some of my real life experiences because I did have friends that were dating some pretty crazy girls at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I was like, we could we could literally have a bachelor party in the woods because that would be the only place that his fiance would let him go because she she was so controlling. She wasn't going to let him have a bachelor party or go anywhere cool. But because he was an outdoorsman and liked camping and he really believes in Bigfoot and UFOs, this is what we'll do. So that's kind of how that started. And I actually knew a guy who was really like the Chad character in the movie. Uh, and I had a nephew that was kind of like Jared. But all these real people started coming into play into the story. So it was kind of writing itself. And then Billy was always telling me all these stories about women he was sleeping with and UFOs and freaking ghost stories and all this. And I was like, dude, I could use all this stuff and make a script <laughs> of this. So I was like, if all you guys are okay with me using our real life experiences in the movie, you know, I'm going to embellish on some of it to make it more fun. But I think our stories alone are pretty damn funny. We'll just bring a Bigfoot to crash the party and that'll make the horror part of the movie and everything else will be comedy. Yeah, because horror and comedy kind of follows the same rule when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was great, man. And plus, it was like we had so many mixed genres because there's like a Bigfoot genre out there that's just Bigfoot movies. But the thing about the Bigfoot movies that I had seen at that time uh, there was only one that I liked that was current, which was called Exists. Like all the other Bigfoot movies were just like freaking horrible. You, if you, if it had a Bigfoot, you didn't really see it, and if you did see it, the Bigfoot looked so horrible and it wasn't scary. And you're like, oh man, these the acting in these movies and the Bigfoot and the gore is it's awful. So I was like, this is going to be something totally different. And the funny thing about it is, as we were getting ready to release our movie. Then all of a sudden there was like a whole new slew of Bigfoot movies getting made and coming out. So it was like, holy crap, we got to hurry up. Now these other movies are coming out too. Yeah. Now, how is your writing method? Do you always take things from your friends or how do you usually write scripts? Well, I've never wrote one before. Like I said, this is my first one and I was forced to write it. Because we kept trying to find writers that would do it and, and try to use my ideas. But a lot of people just didn't get what I was going for. They didn't get the story that I was trying to make and they didn't get the humor. They were like, this isn't funny or like, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's too, you got too many sex scenes in it. There's too much nudity. There's too much cussing. Like, I don't really want to be part of a movie like this. Like everyone was scared to death to do a raunchy horror comedy, especially in the Texas area. Nobody yeah. wanted to do it. And I didn't know that. I didn't know it would be hard. And I, I, I'd seen a lot of these actresses do nude scenes and like horror films I'd seen and short films. So I thought, wow, I'm going to write this really cool role for these girls and approach them and see if they'd like to be in our movie. And when we did approach them, they were like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do those movies. And I was like, what? I saw you naked in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was it was a weird thing, man. So yeah. we ended up having to actually use real strippers in the movie, which that was not easy or cheap to find those people oh no unfortunately <laughs> yeah see my writing teacher uh because i took writing in college also and my right like the way i write i'm big on character development and i get to know my characters to the point where i can just 
stick them in situations and because I know them so well. Like, say, for instance, if uh, you have a son, you know your son. So you know what your son is going to do or capable of doing in this situation. And that's what I do. I write around my characters and my teacher was like I wish I could do that I have to like nag and like get writer's block all the time when you you just sit back and let your characters be them <laughs> right well Cherokee Creek but pretty much wrote itself and, and another reason I it was great that I got held to the fire to do it because the opening hunter at the very beginning of the movie the guy who's sitting in the front of the canoe the more serious hunter guy um he was going to retire from acting, and he basically just called me out of the blue one day. He goes, hey, man, I know you want to really do this Bigfoot movie, and you want me in it, but I'm going to finish up working on 24. He was like doing – he was a, he was on the show 24, and he was doing these other big movies and TV shows. He's like, I made a deal with my wife. I'm going to retire from acting, and we're going to have a couple kids, and that's going to be my focus. So if you want to do it, this is the absolute cutoff date. I gave – me and my wife discussed it. And I'm never going to act. I'm not acting anymore after that. So I don't care if you ask me one day after this, I'm not going to do your movie. So if you want to do it, get it written and let's do it. So <laughs> I had to write that whole hunter scene first. Like all the hunter stuff was written first. Yeah. And then I had to film all that right away. So once I got that film, I felt very confident in the direction the movie was going. I was like, wow, I can't actually do this without a crew, you know, and if I could just have a couple of the actors come out, maybe if they're available that day and help me out. So that, that whole first day of shooting with the hunters, that was Billy doing sound, me doing trying to learn how to use a steady cam camera, you know, set up and everything. And then a couple of the other actors came out and joined us that day. But we just didn't have any help, man. We, it was a very scary thing. It was raining all day, off and on, overcast. We were way behind on schedule. The, the, the FX team almost had to leave, and we almost didn't get any of the special effects shots done, like the death scenes. So if you notice in the movie, it's getting darker and darker. It really is getting darker. And the very last shot of one of them dying is like the last shot I got before it became pitch black outside. Yeah, well, it's an excellent movie. I enjoyed it. I needed that laugh. Uh, where can we find it? What platforms are is, is it available on? It was available on everything except for Fandango, I think, back in the day. And then, of course, we had all these issues with Amazon. Right now, it's only available on Amazon because right now I, I have not found an aggregator that I trust to go with. And because of the pandemic and all these companies going out of business and going bankrupt, I'm holding off to see what happens with the, with the future of the movie business. Yeah. And then, depending on what happens, we're going to try to get it back out on iTunes and all the other platforms again. iTunes was great, great to us. A lot of people don't like iTunes and they don't think they support indie, but the thing was we were we were advertising our movie and they allowed our movie to climb the charts on Amazon. They kept it up there forever. I mean, we were I think we were number three under horror comedy. We were really making a lot of money. So we have no idea how much was stolen from us. But for to have a hundred percent independent movie, self-distributed, to show up on the iTunes top 10 charts something to be, be proud of as a horror comedy going against all the studio movies to me that was unheard of so i was like wow yeah we have really reached a goal here and we could have even went to number one we don't know what was going to happen with a movie but i think it was in the top the top 10 for at least a month before all this stuff happened and then we had to spend the next few months we had to get it taken down a bit uh right away and uh of course, the money stops in, and we, we still don't know how much money it made. We know it made a lot if it was in the top three, 
but we don't know how many. I, my best estimate is the movie grossed well over a hundred thousand dollars on digital. Wow! But I can't prove that. There's no way. There's no way to afford a, an attorney that's going to go, you know, audit all the digital platforms and then audit the company that stole from us. I mean, nobody can even find those people. So it's it's horrific. That's that's the whole thing about the movie business. You got to be very very careful. And I was just listening to Joe Rogan's podcast the other day. I don't know if you know who Bill Burr is. Oh, uh, yeah. He was on there talking about stuff about getting ripped off. He's like, yeah, even for comedians. He's like, if someone offers you a deal that they're going to put your stuff out, they're going to sell 40 million copies or 20 million copies, whatever, you will actually make more money if you only sell like 20,000 copies and you own the rights versus giving it away to one of these companies because they're going to write off so much stuff and they're going to inflate all these different things that they are spending money on. You probably won't see a dime, and you'll make way more money if you sell it yourself and you only sell 20,000 copies. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's where a lot of people mess up. They see, oh, well, this is a big company. It can, you know, get to know. It's best to do everything yourself if you can. It is. I mean, the thing is, if you if you're okay losing 100 percent of your investment and not making a dime, of course, you're going to want to go with a big studio uh, distribution company. And and maybe you can get some kind of advance out of them. But a lot of times in today's market, that doesn't happen anymore. It's not like and everybody always wants to talk about the Blair Blair Witch Project. I'm like, dude, it's not like that anymore. They don't give us million a million dollars or spend millions of dollars on these independent films anymore. And a lot of these uh, smaller companies, what they're doing is they'll buy so many of these crappy, just horrible, low-budget movies. They'll put together like a kick-ass poster and a kick-ass trailer. And if they only make a few thousand dollars off of it, they don't care. That's all they got to do because think about it. If they release 10 crappy movies a week right under that label, or even just five crappy movies, each one of those makes like $5,000. they are they're, they're raking in $25,000, $50,000 a week off these crappy movies. They don't care yeah. if you get your investment back. They don't care if you get paid. It doesn't matter to them. They're just like, we're going to focus on your movie for like a week and then we're done with you. Yeah. And <laughs> and like another thing, I, I know exactly the movies you're talking about, the movies that they take their name and they make it similar. Like, say, for instance, Walking Dead, they'll have walking zombies and it'll be styled exactly like the Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do that with everything, man. Like it, I, I was in a movie one time that was it was about the Charlie Charlie game. And it was a, it was kind of a, a a goofy, campy, independent movie. And I did it for some friends. And I was like, OK, I'll be in this. You know, it was Christmas break. Yeah. Didn't have anything going on. I was like, I'll go out, make a few hundred bucks, help you guys do it. It sounds fun. And it was. Well, when it came out, the, the distribution company spent all this money on their own poster. And I'd already had a poster made for the movie. They changed the title of the movie and they put Ouija board in the title. It was like the Ouija challenge or something or, <laughs> or Ouija something. I was like, there's no Ouija board even in the movie. There's no, this has nothing to do with Ouija boards. Right. But they, they'll do anything that they'll like find another movie. If they know of another movie that's coming out, I think like, is it like, what was that? Uh, Annabelle or something. Yeah. And all of a sudden they'll start that. releasing movies called Anna. Like, Hey, this is the new doll movie. It's called Anna, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, and and then you get pissed off at your grandma because she bought the bootleg version of Annabelle instead of the regular movie. <laughs> yeah. You Who, just don't know, man. I mean, that, I hate to tell people, I, I, I think the independent, as far as film industry goes, is full of some of the biggest scumbags in the world. You have got to be so, so careful with everything. Yeah, it is, I agree. It is, be so careful. Every step. Every step in production is going to be hard. And when you finally get your movie done, 
I hate to tell everybody this, but the marketing and distribution is the hardest part because that's that's the part where everybody gives up. They're like, oh, I'm done. I'm I'm just done with it. Here, take it. Whatever. A lot of people will just give their movie away because they're so sick of it because they've been doing they they did the development of the script. They did pre-production, production, post-production. They're like, dude, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But that's when it that's when you really got to kick in and start working is for your distribution and marketing of your film because nobody else is going to care about your movie but you. Exactly. Now, let me ask you these two questions. Who's your favorite act, top three actor or actresses, man or female? And who's your top three directors of all time? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, well, Sylvester Stallone's going to be one of them. Yeah. These guys are, here's the thing. They're both actors and directors. So I, that kind of helps. Okay. I can knock that out. Yeah. So, so Stallone for acting and directing, uh, Jean Favreau for acting and directing, Quentin Tarantino for directing, uh, Robert Rodriguez for directing also, kind of. Uh, I love, Spy Kids took my childhood. I love Robert Rodriguez. John Carpenter for directing, like him. Definitely. So I'm gonna, for directing, I guess I'll say uh, John Carpenter, um, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino. But I do like Stallone also as a director, too, because he's he's kind of the do-it-all guy. Like, I, I'm really trying to follow in Stallone's footsteps more than yeah, anything. Yeah, I hear he's really hands-on to the point where it's almost annoying because he's literally, like, the director over everything. He'll step behind the camera like, is this good? Like, you know. Well, if you look back, dude, it's amazing. If you actually look at his resume, it's amazing how many movies he's wrote and directed. You, I had no idea. Yeah, multi. Like he, I think, I think he did one of the, the John Travolta movies. I don't remember which one. It was older. It might have been Staying Alive or something. Yeah. Now you were in a movie recently that's in drive-ins all over the world with one of my future wives, Bella Thorne. Uh, <laughs> I tell you. Well, you, you got to watch the movie before you make a comment like that, brother. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I was totally freaking out when I found out. You know, I was watching the, again, I was watching the trailer and I was like, it's shot. You know, like, there's two things I want to do before I die get cussed out by Samuel Jackson and at least smoke a blunt with Bella Thorne. Like, that's oh, all. Well, as far as actor goes, Samuel Jackson is definitely one of my favorites. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a great I, I also like Christian Slater, man, because I grew up watching him in all those old movies like Heathers. I loved him in Heathers, and True Romance is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, Heathers is always a classic. And I find it funny because what a lot of people don't know is Heathers got more popular with time, and that's that what happens a lot with these movies and just the CDs or entertainment in general, like, People will make movies like my friend, he, you know, made a uh, short film and he was kind of down and out because it wasn't really getting the attention that he wanted it to. And I told him, just hold on, like things come around, like it took the whiz until the, uh, I want to say the late to early 2000s before it gained a fan base. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, another thing that that's a, you bring up another important part, like I, I tell people. You're the spokesperson, the director and whatever lead you end up casting in the movie 
they need to be the spokespeople for your movie. Okay. They got to help sell the movie. They got, they got to love the movie. So make sure you don't put out a piece of shit. (laughs) That's what I told directors. I'm like, listen, dude, if you're going to do this movie, you got to love it. You got to love it more than anything. You you got to tell people how much you love it. Like I love Cherokee Creek. I've been doing interviews after interview, after interview. I, I sometimes would talk for six hours a day on interviews about the movie. You know what I'm saying? And you, you have to love the product that you're putting out. You can't just, put it out and not talk about it. A lot of these guys I know, whether they be actors or directors are like, man, I'm not like that, man. I'm not going to go around and boasting about a movie that I'm in or whatever. I think that's conceited, you know, or whatever. I'm like, if you don't boast about your movie and you don't tell people how much you love it, why are they going to watch it? Exactly. Like that was, um, <laughs> that was one of the things that uh, Monique, when she did uh, Precious, that was one of the things that she wouldn't do. That's where the conflict came in. She wouldn't, she didn't want to promote the movie. And, you know, that's when Lionsgate was like, well, you were in the movie. Why don't you, you know, we'll, we're flying you out and paying for your hotel. Why won't you, you know, promote it? So it's definitely, you definitely have to be somewhat Jehovah witness in like every <laughs> movie you do. And that is actually a good point. Because I think that's why The Rock is so prevalent in Hollywood, because they don't just look at your skills, but they look at your followers, too. And they're like, okay, The Rock can tweet this movie, and it'll get to, like, 5 billion people without even Exactly. People don't understand that the old days of advertising are over. It's all about who you cast and social media. And And I tell it to people all the time, and they just get frustrated with me. They're like, dude. I don't care about I don't care about social media. I hate social media. I'm like, dude, social media is the way you market yourself in movies these days. If you hate it, you got no game. There's no there's no way. There is absolutely no way you're going to get your movie out there. How how are you? What is your plan? Like, then they they can never come up with anything. I'm still I'm working with people every day right now, whether I'm doing post production on their movie or helping them get their movies together. And I go, what is your plan when this is done? And nobody has one, man. They never have a plan. So I'm basically telling them, so I could just give you Cherokee Creek when it was done. I could have handed you a finished movie and you still wouldn't know what to do with it. They don't know who their audience is. They don't know who they're marketing to. They don't know how to describe their movies. They don't know who's supposed to like it, who's not going to like it. They they don't know anything. They just think, yeah. I made a movie and I'm done. Exactly. But so infamous, where can people see it and how was it working on the set? Oh, Infamous was awesome, man. Well, working on any set, man, I, you know, uh, I especially working with Bella Thorne and everything, that was really cool because I had just seen her in Babysitter, which was on Netflix, and that was awesome. I yeah. was like, holy oh, crap, this, I, is the girl from, this is the girl from Babysitter. So I was, yeah. I was that was exciting yeah. to me. I didn't know her as a Disney star. I just knew her from the movie The Babysitter. That was how I knew her. Oh, yeah, I grew up watching her on, you know, Shake It Up. Like, I don't even, I don't even know, like, I'm such a huge fan. I don't even know if I could work next to her without a defibrillator. I would have a stroke, (laughs) probably. (laughs) Well, I guess that's a good thing that I didn't know her as well as you do. Yeah, I'm sure sure it would be that way if I was working with some of the bigger stars and stuff. But I knew her from the babysitter, loved that. I checked out some of the director's work, loved that. Uh, but you know, anytime you're doing an independent film, it's usually pretty intense and quick. What people don't understand is, and they like that everyone loves to attack these independent films, which is so much bullshit. Um, back in the day when they made all these hit movies, you know, they had months upon months upon months to, to, to shoot these movies and to do reshoots 
and to go over budget and everything. They don't understand in today's world of whether it be a studio film or even a, a decent budget on an independent film, a lot of times they're giving you like 12 to 16 days to shoot an entire movie. So it's usually really fast, intense, and you don't really get a chance to mess around. So what I do a lot of times when I'm working with these named actors or any actor, for instance, I try not to know them too much or talk to them too much until our scenes are over. You know, yeah. I know they may have their method. They may be method actors and they don't they don't want to talk to me. So what I did with Bella is I stayed in my character. She stayed in her character. And then once I was done filming my scenes, then I talked to her. And she was really cool after that. You know, she she took pictures with me. I had brought a book to set. Uh, she had just wrote a book. So I brought the book to set and she signed it and autographed it for my niece. But she took all kind of pictures. Her boyfriend took pictures of us and stuff. That was cool. The director was cool. The entire cast and crew that was there that night was cool to me. I mean, they were like taking pictures of me with her on set doing the scenes. I mean, they were yeah. doing all kinds of stuff. It was just a really professional set to work on. So I had a great time with it. And, and you always get depressed when you leave something like that because you're like, man, I feel good about this. I feel like everybody's got the passion and the energy felt well. So I'm really excited to see what happens with this. So when uh, it came out, I made sure I had a watching party over at my place the other night. And I think it went live on iTunes like at 11, 15. And I had a house full of like eight to 10 people. And once it went live, we started it. And just everybody was cheering and having a good time, man. It was, it was incredible. And then last night, uh, I traveled about an hour north of me. Or actually, I'm sorry, it was an hour south of me to a drive-in theater. And I got to see it at uh, my first drive-in movie that I happened to be in, which was really cool. Yeah, it's it's gonna be mine. I can't wait. I, I like like I haven't even asked questions. I want to be surprised through the whole thing because I'm like thinking in the back of my head, how will I get popcorn? You know what? How does it work? So I'm very excited to see it. It was cool, man. I, I, and I tell everybody, they're like, "Well, how does it rank on all the movies you worked on?" I'm like, "Dude, I'm not gonna piss off any of the people I work with, but I will tell you, it's definitely <laughs> in my top five. It's definitely in my yeah. top five movies I've worked on in the last twenty years." As far as I, I thought everybody did an amazing job. I'm very, very happy with the film. I couldn't believe how fun my scenes turned out in the movie. I'm like, I love, I absolutely love my scenes in the movie. I could watch, I could just watch them over and over. I know a lot of actors are like, man, I don't watch myself. You know, they, they try to be cool. Like, I don't, I don't like to watch myself. You know, I'm like, dude, why would you make movies and kill yourself and bet your whole life on doing this career and then get weirded out and not want to watch it that's weird <laughs> yeah i've never i've never understood i uh when i was in musical theater i had a uh a friend like that i was like why don't you want to hear or watch yourself and he was like i don't know i just i just get all nervous i start critiquing myself <laughs> oh sorry i stole my wife's keys <laughs> i gotta get my <laughs> wife her keys real quick Sorry about yeah. that. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> now she is. I was like, what's going on? What am I doing? <laughs> I have a bad habit of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great talking to you. I can't wait to have you on the show again. And Oh, I yeah, man. Anytime, man. I'm all about helping people who are up and coming and doing podcasts. And I, and I appreciate all you guys for having me on. I, I try to do as many podcasts as I can. Uh, you did a great job. Thanks for being prepared exactly. and having some great questions for me because sometimes you show up and it's just crickets and you're like, uh-oh, now what? 